This is the Business Storytelling Show, a top global marketing podcast listened to in more than 100 countries, live streamed on social media, and broadcast on DBTV. Christoph Trapp chats with industry leaders to help your company tell better business stories. Here's today's episode. Let's go, business storytellers. How's everyone doing? Christoph Trapp here. Let's talk about working environments. Let's talk about uh, walking on eggshells well, or talking on eggshells, I guess, when we are at work. Uh, almost didn't catch that play on words there. Uh, but Sam Horn is returning to the show and she just recently published Talk on Eggshells, um, the soft skills that you need to have for hard conversations. And what's interesting to me that in a perfect world, maybe I'm an idealist, but some of these conversations aren't that hard or they shouldn't be in theory. So why do we make it so difficult? And why do we have to walk on eggshells just because we can't have uh, conflict or drama? Oh, my goodness. So she can dive into that topic for us, give us some tips um, and tricks that we can implement at work and for our teams. Now, friendly reminder, we are live on Amazon. So everything you see around me, except that retro Redskins helmet behind me, Washington Redskins back in the day helmet. Uh, you can get on Amazon. If you're not watching on Amazon, Christoph Trapp on Amazon, you should find this live stream and my storefront. So let's get this party started and find out what prompted Sam to write the book to begin with and how do we stop talking or walking on eggshells. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Christoph. I've been looking forward to sharing some stories and some insights with your community. Always appreciate it and always great to have you back on the show and, you know, another book coming out. How many books are you up to now? Uh, this is number 10. Number 10. So no stopping from your end. That's awesome to see. But tell me about what inspired you writing this book and why is this an important topic? You know, I was giving a workshop on Tung Fu and a gentleman raised his hand and he said, you know, Sam, I work for lawyers, very demanding. In fact, the entire team and I, we just walk on eggshells all day long. We're so afraid of saying something wrong and setting him off. And I thought, mm, no, you're not walking on eggshells. You're talking on eggshells, right? Very interesting, the play on words. But and so then based on that conversation, you decided to write the book or did it keep coming up? And I mean, I certainly, when I read the book, I see this issue come up all the time. And I know you have some personal examples in there, but especially at work, right? In, in, in a, maybe not my work, but in professional environments, we see that all the time, right? People are not, uh, they're not engaging in those conversations. You know, see, McKinsey came out with a report that said rudeness is on the rise and incivility is getting worse. And we've all experienced that, whether we're a customer facing employee, whether we're a leader or a project manager, is that people are complaining, they're blaming, they're shaming, they're accusing us of things that aren't true. They're, um, and it's, we're not taught how to handle this in school. We're taught calculus, we're not taught what to do when people complain. So I wrote a book that could help us know what to say when we don't know what to say. What's interesting to me about that topic too is, I mean, I kind of, I don't know what you, how you felt about my opinion there at the beginning, but some of these conversations shouldn't be too hard in theory. Um, like when you were just talking about complaining and, and rudeness is on the rise. And I, 
I agree with that to an extent, but sometimes I also wonder if people just take stuff out of context. So like when I see things on social media and somebody says the sky is blue or whatever, or the sky today is blue, it turns into a political argument about uh, global warming or something like that. Do you know what I mean? So like, yeah, go ahead. It's, you know, you're right, is that unfortunately snark has become the norm. And you and I both know that rewarded behavior gets repeated. And so if somebody says something outrageous online, our reaction is to say, well, that's not true. What about this? And then we just pile on. So Mother Teresa said, the world is full of good people. If you can't find one, be one. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book is like people think I agree with that in theory. I just don't know how to do it in practice. So each chapter is a character building situation we face every day. And in that situation, how can we be a pattern interrupt and be a force for good instead of just piling on with all the snark and the reactions? The one thing I find interesting, too, of course, this is a little bit different. In on, I mentioned social media. But on social media, you have people need to have reasons why they do anything. Like, you know, you comment on somebody's post, like it spreads that post, right? And so my point is, if I'm commenting on somebody's post, I have a reason to do it. Maybe I want to support them or maybe maybe I got something to share or maybe I'm going to reach out to them for a deal later and I want to stay top of mind. But it's not just for me to say, well, that's stupid or that's even if, if, even if I think it is. But what's the point? in that. Now, you know, you talk about, uh, you have a whole chapter on why do we even talk on eggshells? Let's dive into that maybe a little bit here. Why does that even happen? Why is it a real issue? You know, Harvard said that 67% of people identify as conflict averse. And it goes a lot to our childhood is that I grew up in a cold war, not that kind of cold war. My, my dad was emotionally distant and my mom was emotionally wounded. So they didn't fight. They just didn't talk to each other. So kind of my brother and sister and I grew up and it's like if we saw a conflict, we headed the other direction. And many people feel the same way. So one of the points of this book, once again, is like the three normal ways in a conflict we avoid. It's like, uh-oh, conflict, I'm out of here. Or we accommodate, we go along to get along, or we get angry. Maybe we learned that getting loud and intense is the way to get our way, and so that's how we handle conflict. This book is full of assertive ways. How can we proactively? How can we effectively? How can we move things forward toward cooperation instead of conflict. Want an example? Go for it. Okay. One of my favorite examples is uh, my Aunt Kay is 85 years old. She works in a hospital. She volunteers. She did this even during COVID. And I asked what it was like. She said one word, stressful. I said, well, put me in the scene where you handled a stressful situation. She didn't even have to think about it. She said a woman had run in holding up her phone saying, my daughter was in an accident. She just texted me. I need to get in to see her. Well, Kate called the ER. There was somebody already with the daughter. She had to give that bad news to the woman. The woman lost it. She's screaming at my aunt. Now, Christoph, you know me. I believe in juxtaposing. So unless people are driving, I hope they get a fresh piece of paper and put a vertical line down the center. And on the left are words to lose that makes things worse. Over on the right are words to use that actually make things better. So if you put over on the left when people are taking their anger out on you, their frustration, put down the words how rude, 
because it's so easy to think, how rude. I didn't make the rules. Why are you blaming me? This isn't my fault. We go down the rabbit hole. Over on the right, Aunt Kay asked herself four words. How would I feel? How would I feel if my daughter were in the ER and I couldn't get in to see her? It gave her the incentive to turn there's nothing I can do into let me see if there's something I can do. She called the ER nurse back. She said, who is with the daughter? It was the Uber driver who had brought her in. Kay was able to explain the situation, thank him, he left, and the mother was able to get in with the daughter. Now think about at work, something goes wrong, it's so easy, how rude, that's impatience. The words, how would I feel, move us from impatience to empathy, from contempt to compassion, from there's nothing I can do to let me see if there's something I can do. You know, what's interesting to me, too, is thinking about uh, the other person. Certainly, that's something that people can work on, right? Have some empathy and, and realize what uh, what other people are going through. But the other thing I was wondering, too, as I was listening to you, especially at work, I mean, I know the example you gave was personal, but, but like in a professional environment, who has the time? Who has the time to even be rude? Or, you know, all these other things you mentioned, blaming, shaming, making mistakes, teasing. I don't have the time, right, like to even deal with that. Do people just do it because, I mean, why do people do it? Is it just because they just don't know any better or they don't have self-awareness? I mean, I have seen people where you say, well, hey, you know what, uh, this is kind of rude or whatever. And they'll say, I'm not rude at all, right? And they don't have any self-awareness at all. And everybody else would agree that indeed they, they are being rude. You know, Christoph, it's interesting because I have an opportunity to do a lot of training on talking on eggshells in Tung Fu. And what a lot of people say is, why didn't they teach us in school? And, and I'll give another example is that say we're in a meeting and something has gone wrong and the blaming has begun. Well, you were the one who dropped the ball. Don't blame me. I never saw that message and back and forth. It's like over on the left, put the words find fault. When things go wrong, the finger pointing begins. I suggest we be a pattern interrupt. Now, do you play sports by any chance, Christoph, or did you play sports growing up? Yeah, I did play uh, football. In fact, you can kind of still see. Let's see if you can see it on here behind me there, my Iowa Hawkeyes helmet. It's still sitting there. It's been sitting there for a couple decades by now. Um, so yeah, definitely there. Still paying the price <laughs> with my body, but go ahead. Well, Christoph, you know, in sports, they either blow the whistle, a referee to stop it, or sometimes you just make a tea. I believe if you're in a meeting and people are, there's a commotion, blaming, shaming, be a, pa a visual pattern interrupt. Because if you try and talk over them, the voice of reason will get drowned out in the commotion. Instead say, hey, time out. And then say something like, we're here to find solutions, not fault. Or over on the right, put these words, let's not do this. We could spend the rest of the afternoon arguing about who did this. Instead, let's reach out to that client or write down these three words. This won't help. Hey, calling each other names won't help instead. And you see how by being a pattern interrupt, Elvis Presley said, when things go wrong, don't go with them. <laughs> Don't just start yelling at people who are yelling. Stop it. Let's not do this. This won't help. And move to how we can prevent it from happening again instead of what people should have done. 
You know, what's interesting is like when you just describe that, I'm thinking that should never happen in a professional environment, but I have seen it happen. And uh, I, I also wonder if part of the reason it does happen is just because of the culture, right? So when you talk about trying to blame people, so if you have a real team, right, and the team works together, at the end of the, I mean, if it's really bad, certainly somebody needs to be held accountable. But if it's just day-to-day -day stuff, why does anybody need to be blamed? Why can't they just work together and move forward together? Is that a culture thing? I mean, is that something leaders can influence, right? I mean, I'm just thinking as if everybody's pointing the finger and maybe they do it because they know somebody will get in trouble from leadership over every little bitty thing. Is that why that happens? Or, or how can we change that in, on a content team or a marketing team or whatnot? Once again, I, I love these questions because let's get in the real world what happens at work when things go wrong, when people are complaining. So let's talk about complaining. So over on the left, say once again, something's gone wrong and people are complaining. Over on the left, here's what not to do. Don't explain. Because if people complain and we explain, we think they're going to forgive us because now they understand what went wrong. No, no explanations come across as excuses. They make people angrier because they feel we're not being accountable. So when people complain, don't explain over on the right, take the A train, A for agree, A for apologize, A for act. Someone saying, you know, you were supposed to send this yesterday. Oh, I know, but you know, it's like the, it got held up in accounting and they didn't even get back to me until this morning. No, no, you're right, you're right. I was supposed to send that to you yesterday. A for apologize. And I'm sorry you ended up waiting for it. A for act. And I've got that information. I can either walk it over if you would like or email it. What works better for you? The A train often expedites complaints. Explanations aggravate them. Very interesting. So basically, uh, I mean, yeah, you're right. You know, um, I did move our podcast interview eight times. I'm sorry to do that. <laughs> let's do it today, right? Let's get on the horn and let's review it. And uh, thank you for for the uh, grace when I did have to move things. Sometimes that happens. I don't know if it was eight times, maybe not, but a few times. Um, interesting. But at what point, though, again, I'm thinking about the culture, right? So if the culture is not there, and at somebody, at some point, somebody will be blamed by the bosses. Is that why people explain it? Because if all I say is all the time, and I'm playing a little bit devil's advocate here. I mean, I agree with the A-train, quite frankly. And I just say, I agree. I'm sorry. I'll do it now. At what point do people say they don't know what they're doing? So good point. So in a moment, let's talk about accountable. Let's come back to uh, the A train one more time, because I hope people are thinking of, I'm not talking about someone who constantly makes excuses. You know, someone who does this every time, you know, we're not going to say you're right because rewarded behavior gets repeated. It's just that Chuck Yeager, who broke the sound barrier, said at the moment of truth, there are either reasons or results. And so often the knee-jerk response when someone complains, once again, is to explain, you know, that meeting was supposed to start at nine o'clock. It didn't start until 9.30. Oh, I know, but the PowerPoint went work and half the people weren't there. Once again, la, 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 la. We think we're making it better and we're making it worse. 
when we say you're right, it was supposed to start at nine. And from now on, we're going to, you know, start no matter what people appreciate the accountability. So now let's come back to a culture because you were talking about it. Let's ask ourselves as business leaders, who is someone who persistently breaks the rules? Let's, because it's a common one, let's go with they're coming in late. And ask ourselves this question, was this expectation outlined at the outset? Because you know what? A lot of times when people are hired in employee orientations, we never lay down the law. We never say, by the way, coming in on time is part of your job responsibility. And if we say you start at nine, we don't mean 905. We don't mean on the property getting a cup of coffee. We mean at your desk ready to take calls or something. And then the second question is, even if it's been discussed, has it been enforced consistently? Because guess what? Sometimes people come in late, nothing happens. They think, well, must not be too bad. Nothing's happening to them. Then people start feeling entitled. Then if we start trying to hold them accountable for it, they say, why are you making such a big deal out of this? Charlie comes in late and never say anything to him. If that's the case, if some policy at work, culture, has not been outlined or enforced, then Christoph, guess what we do? We're going to keep doing it. Uh, we pull a me culpa. Me culpa is Latin for my fault. We say we should have outlined in the beginning that this is a prerequisite of your employment yeah. with us. And, and it was our responsibility <clears throat> to enforce it consistently. And then we say things are going to be different from now on. And then we have a start date, starting as of such and such a date. And Christoph, we actually build in a cushion. We don't say today because they may have legitimate carpool problems or daycare drop-off problems or something. So we say starting as of this day, this is the expectation. And now do you know what we do not say? Do you understand? Because they'll go, yeah, that is not an agreement. <laughs> we say, what is your understanding of our agreement? And they must say it. And if this is egregious behavior, they must read it and sign it. So we actually have a contract. And one more thing that we do to hold them accountable. You know what that is? We schedule a follow-up date. We say, so we're going to get back together on such and such a day and review this to make sure that you're doing it. So they know that we're not just saying it's going to go away like it has before. No. We mean business this time. You know, and I know we're just kind of picking on an example of being late or on time or whatever, which is interesting because like my time on time starts when I roll out of bed and I'll just start working. Right. And then, you know, I just do what I got to do. And when I'm done, I'm done, whenever that might be um, and, and whatnot. But um, there's also a line um, of stuff. I think I don't know. Where's that line of stuff that is should just be expected by default. I mean, it's like, and I know we're just picking on a very simple example, but people being on time for a meeting, that's like a basic expectation. I mean, shouldn't it be? Uh, oh, I'm so glad you brought this up because how many Zoom calls have you been on where you were there when it said it was going to start at one and then the host said, well, we, you know, we're still missing some people. So we're going to wait a few minutes. Now, what is that about? They are honoring the people who are late and penalizing the people who are on time. So I think as leaders, we need to ask ourselves, hmm, what example am I setting? Because our Albert Schweitzer said that 
in influencing others, example is not the main thing. It's the only thing. And Richard Branson said, time is the new money. And I believe that time is a new trust. So I know we're spending a lot of time about the word time. It's just that leaders tell me this is one of their pet peeves. You know, people not turning things in on time, people not responding in time, people not showing up on time, etc. So I believe it is a policy that we state and we say, we want our customers to trust us. We want you to trust us. So if we say we're going to be there at a certain time, you can trust that we're going to be there. If you say it's going to take a half an hour, it's going to take a half an hour. And if for some reason it isn't, we get in touch with people before it happens and say, I want to give you a heads up. We said that we would ship this to you and you would have it by Friday. There's been a supply chain kind of issue. They just let us know it's going to be Monday. We just want to let you know so that you can make plans. That's good business because do you know anxiety can be defined in two words? Not knowing. And if we don't know if these people are going to do what they say they're going to do, when they say they're going to do it, we don't trust them. We're in a constant state of anxiety. And I think as business leaders, it is something we model and something we teach and hold people accountable for. So we're building a culture of trust. And we have to have those soft skills. Before I ask you that, the next question, we only have a couple minutes left, but currently Sam's book, 8% off on Amazon. I'm just looking at the Amazon app here. So if you are uh, scanning that code, we do have some clicks over on Amazon. Uh, check it out, $18.35. So that's 8% off according to their math. Um, so click on over, uh, grab your copy now. I assume that's the print version, but I'm not sure. I'm not, I didn't click over to it. Now, when you say soft skills, talk about that really quickly, maybe like in a minute. Uh, what is? What are the exact soft skills that people have to learn? Soft skills, sometimes people say, oh, soft skills, you know, it's not important. No, no, no. Uh, Jeff Weiner from LinkedIn said that it is the number one skill gap, our communication skills, how to get along with people. So let's be very pragmatic. And my 40 seconds left on this answer is that on a, on a piece of paper, put a vertical line down the center on the left are words to lose. But I hear what you're saying, but put the word and I hear what you're saying and put the word should, you know, you, you should have talked with Bob. He was the one who understood it. from now on, please talk with Bob. You know, you have to, you have to, you have to get in touch with so-and-so, you know, let them know that this has changed. Could you please, uh, there's nothing I can do. Here's something we can do. Soft skills are specific words that create cooperation instead of words that actually create conflict. We can turn resentment into resistance, actually into receptivity, if we use soft skills. Very interesting. and really appreciate you coming back on the show, Sam. Um, a couple hundred episodes after your first appearance, roughly. Um, how, uh, in the last, I don't know, 30 seconds here, 25 seconds, tell us how do people connect with you? Who should reach out to you? And again, really appreciate you coming on. You're welcome. It's real easy. You're welcome to go to my website, Sam Horn, S-A-M-H-O-R-N, my three TEDx talks there, my speaking services for organizations and associations, and my consulting skills. If you are preparing for a TEDx talk or for an important presentation, I'll be happy to work with you on that too. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review The Business Storytelling Show on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. See you then.